Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. After being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. beautiful out. It can't be that dreary, can it? We are marching through. We're part number five in the book of Hebrews. And if you've been with us, you know that what we're trying to do is extract from this really deep and insightful letter that requires a lot of work and understanding the Old Testament. We're trying to extract from it the main theme, which is running through the entire book, is that Jesus is a greater answer for all of life's needs. We're moving into the biggest section of the book of Hebrews. It kind of breaks down into about three sections. If you look at big categories, and this section we're moving into, starting in chapter 5, takes us all the way through, really, into chapter 10. And the storyline that they're going to follow is that Jesus operates as now our high priest. And of course, the references are anchoring us to what the Old Testament would know. Um, as the priesthood of the Levites, and then the high priest of the lineage of Aaron in the, uh, in the religion of Judaism. And he's anchoring us to that to make sure we can understand about Jesus. Now, most of you are probably familiar with the word priest. You've probably heard the word priest before. You maybe have used it before. Um, most of the time when people hear the word priest, they either think of the Catholic Church, although there are other denominations that uh, use priests like Anglicans and other sorts or you might think of maybe like I mentioned the Old Testament system of priesthood it's really important though that we understand what a priest is before we can really make contemporary sense of how Jesus is a better priest for us because many of you might not really have much connection to what a priest is or how we use priests or the role that they fulfill you know, the idea of a priest, the concept of a priest, is actually found all over the world at different times in history, even in different religions, other than even Christianity, the idea of having a priest. Every time you have a deity involved, 
there is going to be a group of people that operate like priests. In fact, the Bible reveals a lot of priests that operated uh, for different foreign gods. We see the role developed uh, specifically in the Bible all throughout its pages. It starts actually in Genesis where people begin operating like a priest. Um, in fact, we see this uh, priest starting out as people operating as priests for themselves, like Cain and Abel, who are offering their sacrifices to God. They took on that role themselves. And that developed into becoming the patriarchs, people like Moses or Abraham and Moses. Those guys operated as priests over their family. And then when God gave the law in Exodus chapter 20, and the nation of Israel was formed, do you remember the story, side note, how uh, the tribe of Levi was chosen to be priests? When Moses went up on the mountain and got the law and he came back down and Aaron with the people had created the golden calf, Moses was furious and God was furious. And it was the tribe of Levi that stood up and defended the honor of God. And God said, those are the people that I'm going to set aside as my priests. A priest, in most basic terms, not spe speaking specifically of Old Testament, Law of Moses, Levite priest. A priest, in most basic terms, is just somebody who acts on behalf of another person. Someone who sort of mediates for another person, who stands in between and mediates between one person and another. This person can offer gifts, or as we see in the Bible, sacrifices, on your behalf in hopes that they can help establish a relationship between the person that has given them the gift and the person they're giving the gift to. Now, some people might have experience with a priest. Some of you might not, uh, religiously speaking. Regardless, every one of us in this room um, has experience with the concept of a priest because we've all had people in our life who has acted for us like a priest maybe not in a religious context or a religious setting but you've all had friends and people in your life that have acted in a priestly way let me explain i'll never forget the first i guess you might call him priest in my life uh his name was adam lovejoy he was my third grade best buddy and he was my tetherball nemesis he was a lot taller than me he had long arms and we um played by the rules where you couldn't use the string and you couldn't double hit. I'm a, I'm a tetherball purist. That's the only way you should play. And um, he always could beat me, but we were best buddies. And in third grade, I'll never forget, I was under the impression that a young woman named Amanda, she might not have been a woman at the time, um, might be interested in me. My interest peaked. But, you know, asking her if she was interested in me in third grade was way too risky of a proposition for me. Adam was my buddy. He was a good friend of mine. Um, and so I sent Adam with word that I would like to buy her ice cream sandwich at lunch and to find out what she would say. Do you see how that works? That, 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 in the most simple terms, he was operating in a priestly way for me. He was mediating between two people. It's none of your business how that conversation went. But, <laughs> you know, when someone helps you land a job or maybe land a new client, they're operating sort of like a priest. Maybe someone like a marriage counselor or a really good friend who steps in and helps mend relationships. 
is operating sort of like a priest. Anyone who mediates on your behalf is working in type like a priest. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not really a worshiper of God. Maybe you're not a Christian. Here's what I want to encourage you with as we look at Jesus for just a moment. Knowing Jesus as a priest in the priestly way will invite you to take the journey to get to know who God is. So I ask you with an open heart and open mind just to look at Jesus as a priest and see where he's trying to mediate or lead you to. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a worshiper of God. Maybe you're a Christian. Here's the question I want you to be asking yourself as an active listener to what we're talking about with Jesus. Okay, are you ready? If you're a Christian in this room, who actually is your priest before God? Now, before you just make the quick assumption, well, of course, I'm a Christian. Jesus is my priest, right? That's what the Bible says. So obviously he's my priest. I'm asking you not on an intellectual level. I'm asking you on a very functional, practical level. Who is your priest? before God could it be maybe an important elder or a preacher in your life does that person mediate your relationship to God is it maybe a parent in your life family member who mediates that relationship between you and God and without them you don't believe you can be right with God but the one I would press you on most that has become most prevalent in our culture today the person that is becoming the most active priest in most people's lives is themselves. You see, most of us are actually trying to stand before God and be on our own by ourselves and prove ourselves before him. Here's how you find out who your functional priest is. Ask yourself this question. When you envision yourself being in front of God and being right with him and him looking down and saying, yes, our relationship is correct, Whose hands are holding what kind of gift that you're offering to God? Who do you picture holding it? Is it you holding your own righteous deed before God? You're operating as your own priest. Is it the preacher who's held maybe all the Bible studies you've done together before God and say, look, they've done them. He's your priest. Is it your parent that says, we have been in the church this long? Mom or dad is your priest. Who is your priest? I think you'll find that the answer to that question is the bedrock foundation of your faith. And I want to make an argument to you this morning this way. That there is no greater priest in the world than Jesus Christ. No greater. Because of the quality of who he is and the offer that he brings to you to mediate between the most important relationship in your life, Jesus Christ. Let me show you why he's the greatest priest. First of all, reason number one, he is the greatest priest because he has been called by God. You know, there is actually nothing worse than a self-appointed priest. You know what I'm talking about? You've got problems, you've got some issue, and someone, without you asking them, appoints themselves to be a priest in your life and start mediating in your own business. Isn't that terrible? No one wants somebody to self-appoint themselves as a priest into your life. That doesn't work. We usually feel a little bit awkward with that and don't like that. Chosen priests, however, are effective. When you are active in seeing who the priest is that you want, and that person is chosen 
he or she can be effective. There are two aspects of Jesus being called into priesthood that the Hebrew writer tells us about that is so important that shows us why Jesus is an effective priest. In verses 4 through 6, it tells us this, first of all, that Jesus was chosen from among men. Chosen from among men. He was a person who was, verse 1, it says, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. You see, it was vital for the Old Testament priest under the law of Moses to be part of the nation of Israel, one of them, part of them. And what this says about Jesus being a priest who is chosen among men, like those of the Old Testament, is that he is like us. He understands our nature. He doesn't just mediate on behalf of us like an angel would, saying, yeah, God, I think we should forgive them or work with them. He mediates on our behalf as one who has been fully human, who knows the experience of being just like us. He gets your journey. He knows your challenges. He understands. Jesus is an effective high priest because he was chosen as one of us. He was like us. He made himself to be like us, number one. Number two, the second aspect that makes Jesus a called and effective high priest is not just that he was chosen among men, but he was appointed by God. He was appointed by God. This makes him incredibly effective. If you have a relationship in your life that you want to have healed, you want to have fixed, you want to have mended, the person that you're trying to relate to or reconnect with, it's really important that they like the person who's mediating on your behalf, that they actually have respect for that person, that they believe in that person, that they trust the integrity of that person. It's important that they choose that person. Jesus was a priest for our relationship to God, appointed by God. That tells us two things. One, that Christ is incredibly humble. Jesus is incredibly humble. He didn't exalt himself to this position because he was sinless. He didn't say, hey guys, I've surveyed the land. All of you stink. I'm the one who's been perfect. I'll go ahead and take the priesthood because none of you can do it because I'm pretty much awesome. So this does, Jesus was appointed priest by God. That tells you how humble he was. That he just served the will of God. And he was chosen by God to be priest. It tells you the second thing. Not just that he was humble, but that he was wanted by God. You see, it was his character and his connection to God that makes him ideal to be a priest for us. His character shows us that he was flawless and perfect. He actually can stand before God with no shame, pure hands, clean hands and a pure heart. But he also had a unique and special connection to God. A prior relationship. Something that has existed for all eternity. He was the begotten son of God came forth from God perfect person the son of God he was called to be the priest that's the first reason he's greater than any priest you've ever heard because he was called the second reason that makes him the greatest priest is that he's compassionate he's compassionate now the best priests are the ones who understand your situation the best counselors are the ones who have been through their own trials the best Friends are the ones who have taken lumps with you and even understand in their own life how it is to get through something. Think about it in your own life. The people that have probably offered you the most sound wisdom in your life are those that have been through like scenarios, who have walked the same path because they have compassion. 
They don't speak from a lofty position of arrogance to say, this is what I think you should do. They speak from a position of, I understand, and here's how we should do this. The best priests are the ones who understand, who have felt your pain, who have known your fears. Those are the kind of priests that have instant credibility. They've walked that path. Now, under the Old Testament, the law of Moses, it was easy for the tribe of Levi as priests to have compassion on the people because of their sins. Do you know why it was easy for them to have compassion? Because they too had sin. So they could understand and be compassionate and have sympathy with the sinful people who needed to offer sacrifices because they too were sinful. They understood. This makes this incredibly difficult for Jesus to have compassion on us, doesn't it? How does he understand what it's like to be like us? He's never been in the position of being sinful. Well, his compassion and understanding is revealed to us there in verses 7 and 8. The Hebrew writer uses a very poetic language to take us back to the darkest moment of Jesus' life. Even before the cross, there was a dark moment in Jesus' life. It happened in the night in which he entered the Garden of Gethsemane. Earlier that day, he had said in John chapter 12, my soul is overwhelmed, it's troubled, it's in anguish. Even before Passover meal and then into the garden, Jesus was troubled in John 12, 27. My soul is in anguish. After dinner, he went to the garden with his 11. And then he asked three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, to come with him alone in private. And you know, Jesus in that moment did something for the first time in his life. He asked them for help. He turned to the three and said, will you pray for me? The Son of God turned to men and said, lift me up in prayer. I'm overwhelmed. He was hurting. He was scared. He was in anguish. And he felt all alone. And he asks for help. And from the three closest friends, he asks for help. And does he get it? He's let down. And he's looking for on this deep, dark, difficult night for faithfulness in his friends. And he's betrayed, not just by Judas, but all the others. When they strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter. He's all alone, he says in John 16. This perfect and sinless person experienced all of the suffering that belonged only to us. He experienced despair. You see, there's this really obscure statement in verse 8. Look, read it with me. It says, although he was a son, Jesus, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. It's kind of a weird statement, isn't it? And what's he getting at? You see, what he means is Jesus learned that night what it means to obey God when every fiber in your being is saying don't. And yet he did. He understands that. He is the greatest priest, not just because he relates to our own personal disappointments because we've messed up and he knows what it's like to mess up and he can feel sympathy for us. That's not why he's a great priest. He's a great priest not just because he relates to disappointment, but because he understands deep distress. I want you to know this, that there is no one in the world who understands your dark moments like Jesus. No one. 
He understands. He is the most compassionate high priest you will ever find. Let me finish with this last reason, okay? Jesus was called. He's compassionate. But what makes him a unique priest, makes him different than any other priest in the world, is that he's complete. He's complete. Let me make sense of this for you. You see, every priest is limited on what he can do. My friend Adam in third grade was limited, right? All he had was the offer that I gave him. I said, listen, I've got 35 cents, which was a lot of money. Lunch was like $1.35, so that was a lot of money. 35 cents was how much ice cream was. And that's all Adam had in his hand to walk over and try to mediate for me. Every priest in the Old Testament, all they had was what was brought to them, right? So you show up, and I've got my offering, and I give it to the priest, and I say, please offer this to God for me so that my relationship with God will be right. Now, what happens if I bring to the priest a flawed offering or not enough or the wrong offering? What can the priest do? He offers it. It's not accepted. It's an unacceptable sacrifice. The priest can't reach into his pocket and pull out something and fix it. It's my offer. It's what I'm giving to God. And he couldn't do that. You see, a priest can only offer what is brought to him. If it's flawed, it's rejected. And that's why the friend can only get you the interview, but they can't always get you the job. And a counselor can offer to people in a relationship options, but they can't demand people engage. Jesus is different. Human priests have empty hands. You bring the gift, and they give it to God, but not Jesus. Look in verse 9. Read this very carefully. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. Not just the facilitator. Not just the mediator. Did you see that word, what he became? The source. He became the source of eternal salvation. What that means is he is a priest who also became the offering. Never in our lives have we seen this before. Up until now, all of the offerings were temporary. All of the ceremonial laws that you read, basically in the spot in the Bible where you stop your yearly readings, you know what I'm talking about? You get Genesis, you do Exodus, get into, you know, Leviticus, and you kind of give up because that's where the ceremonial laws are, and it's kind of hard to read. When you get into that point, what you're seeing is all this temporary solution. But what you see in the overall theme in the book of Leviticus is this. That God demands flawless for flawed people. That he demands the sinless take the place of the sinful. And if the sinless doesn't take the place of the sinful, the sinful bear the weight of their punishment or their sin. And what we see is that that was all temporary because animal life is not the same value as human life. So if I brought a flawless, sinless, without blemish animal, it's still not the same as a human life. Jesus is the perfect priest who was able to offer the perfect sacrifice and eternally saves those who, it says in verse 9, obey him. Jesus is the greatest priest you will ever find because he has the best qualities chosen by God, compassionate to us, but he also is the greatest priest because he guarantees you the most important relationship because he's not just the perfect priest he's the perfect gift and here's what he simply says come obey me obey me now we sort of 
bristle at that word sometimes. We're almost, we're so self-independent. We, we want to guide our own lives and run our own lives. So when somebody else outside of us says, obey me, we resist this idea. We think maybe, okay, this is the catch. Yeah, he's great. He's perfect. He offers that for us. Now he just wants to run my life. It's all about him. But here's the thing you've got to know. Everybody in this room right now is obeying somebody. You're obeying. Every one of us is obedient. Whoever we believe can deliver to us what we want the most, we obey that person. Whoever promises to us the thing that we want the most, we're obeying them. And to simply obey means you trust and you follow. And you're doing that right now with somebody. Every one of us is. But the question is, who are you obeying? Think about that for a moment. Every one of us is obedient to somebody right now. And if I ask you, who are you obeying right now? You start running through your mind, people in your mind, right? Well, my boss, because he watches, uh, I guess, maybe, or I don't know, spouse. You wrestle with that, right? Maybe you have a hard time naming it, who it is that you're obeying. And it's usually this reason. Because the person we obey the most is usually us, ourselves. You see, there's an inner voice on constant repeat in your mind right now that is always telling you where to find joy, where to find peace, where to find security, where you can find love, where to go to get acceptance, how to find hope, how to get freedom, and where to be happy. That's literally, we have a voice constantly telling us, and people are feeding that voice and trying to instruct that voice, here's where you can find love, joy, peace, happiness, all of these things. Constantly telling you that, but here's the question. How good is it going? Is it working? Jesus has proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that no one loves you more than he loves you. He loves you enough to give his own life for you, but he loves you enough to tell you the truth, which is when you obey me, my words lead to life. The thing you've always wanted, joy and peace, acceptance love security freedom hope it's my voice that leads you there he said i'll leave you because i'm your high priest who can actually connect you with the one that your heart really wants got a restless heart this morning unsettled frustrated you're restless because you have not reconnected with your maker you're like a child who's been lost gone from his parents Longing to reconnect with the one who has made you, who knows you intimately, who was there at your beginning, and who wants to be there at your end. How do you obey this? It's really simple. Repent of being your own priest and offering your own gifts. And number two, you just got to come to Jesus as your priest. He's been called by God. He's got compassion with you. He's the greatest priest because he's the only one who can deliver. But you've got to let him be your priest. We're going to stand and sing. If you need him, let's come now.